Welcome to the So Wizards podcast. I'm Kevin Broom, along with co-host Ron Oaks Cunningham. And our guest this week is Marcus Atkinson Sr., who writes for Bullets Forever. And uh, what else? How should we introduce you, Marcus? Uh, yeah, I write, I write for Bullets Forever. Um, I'm a lead administrator for youth basketball, and I coach as well. So you know, I just do a lot of basketball. Okay. And who's your best player? Oh, man. So there was this kid, his name is uh, Jordan. I, I won't give away his last name. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm in a Prince William County area. And um, th the thing about Prince William County, there are a lot of really uh, just athletic kids, but basketball is not king down here, right? Yeah. Um, like I'm from PG, basketball okay. is king up there, right? It's yeah. PG, is basketball, is football. Those are the main ones. So um, down here, uh, with Jordan, you know, he just stood out above all the other kids. He was very talented, but he was big for his age. Like I, I was okay. coaching uh, basically 10, 11 year olds, um, but he could do everything on the court. I mean, literally everything. Great defender, could shoot, take the ball okay. to the basket. Um, the one thing that he had challenged with was his attitude. He just got really angry a lot. So, um, you know, one of the things I try to work on with young kids is not just teaching them the game, but helping them understand you got to be a good teammate. You got to be coachable because that's what's going to get you to where you want to go as opposed to just, you know, your talent because your talent can only take you so far. So it's kind of yeah. funny. What this makes me think of is like, you know, maybe the Wizards could use their services in terms of talking to some of their players about how they uh, respond to officiating. Yes. Or, or you can coach him. Yeah. Like, just run a up-tempo offense to find some roles. Say, Brad, you getting 20 shots. KP, you getting 18. Rui, you getting 11. You know, like, well, I digress. I digress. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, that's what's up, man. That's what's up. So, you, you, yeah, okay. I hope, I hope that uh, your pupil, I hope he makes it. But, um, and just one, one quick point. Yeah, Prince William County and all that, they, they probably like football, the CTE sport more. So yes. tell them don't include themselves as a DMV, as, as a DC guy. It's like, <laughs> we want to stand alone. Like, you know, because we're, we're PG County. Let me guess, you claim Kevin Durant, even though he was born in oh. DC and only gentrification pushed him out. He's a he, DC kid. He, he He's PG. He's PG. I, he's a I DC mean, kid, through. man. That, that's that's how, what he was raised, man. See, this is I why mean, we I, call it the DMV. Is DC, Maryland, <laughs> and Virginia. Mom, we don't, like, DC, we don't put, include the MV. Because here's the thing, right? Like, I, I'll be out um, I'll be out in California or even in Texas, um, and I'll tell someone, yeah, oh, I'm from DC. And they'd be like, oh, me too. Yeah, I'm from DC. I'd be like, oh, okay, like, what part? Like, because it's like, you know, you know, it's like, you just cool with me someone from well, the same city. And then they'll be like, oh, well, I'm actually from, like, the, like, Maryland, like, right outside. Come on, bro, get out of here. You don't even like basketball the way we do. Like, come on. <laughs> you don't even like mumbo song. Like, your carryout oh. doesn't even have enough, uh, you know, enough right of um, restaurant violations in it. Like, I've been to Maryland. I've been to Prince William County. I've seen the way you all eat. It's I got to say, it's, it's hard to trust anybody who doesn't like mumbo sauce. <laughs> this is oh, true. This is true. This is true. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair yeah. enough. Maybe let's talk a little bit about like um it's the off season. Mm -hmm. And I think um, you know, Ron, you're a big advocate of this, is like uh, you know, especially with the way that um 
everything has been so condensed with, you know, the, the time off for the pandemic, the condensed season that followed, you know, the, the bubble, all this kind of stuff, the, this whole idea of just taking time off uh, yeah. once your team's eliminated. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. It's like... Um, for the like, fans, I mean, uh, not the players. Yeah, no, fan, no, players, like you're eliminated, you, you have to get back to work because they all want to be great. They've been plying their trade for like, what? 20 plus years to get to it. Yeah, it didn't happen overnight. For some people, last years, like, you know, like Rui, like started like later and then like yeah. 11 years, okay, I'm one of the best players in the world. Others, like Brad, you've been doing this since you were like six, 20 plus years, you mastered your craft. Like you, you finished with the apprenticeship and you mastered your craft. But for fans, I feel like one, we're not masters of basketball. Right. Like, you know, you, you got people like, um, I forget the guy name, um, like, uh, what's it, Jay, Jay Hayden, but hates in his, like, uh, moniker, right? Like, hates in his moniker. So that should tell you the mindset of a guy like that. And it's like, um, these dudes don't even play basketball, but yet they, they talk bad about, like, basketball players. And the only reason why is because it's constantly been funneled at you. Yeah. So it's like, like, certain things you got to take a step back and realize, like, okay, um let me decompress let me think it through logically so i can have a fresh perspective and it's like you know i'm one of the guys i'll give you an example i'm one of the guys who um we got christoph's Porzingis. i was like oh we're cooking we can be top four next year and then i watched the playoffs because you get a chance to like really you know watch the 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 intimate details of another team over at least minimum four game series right mm -hmm. 48 minutes of it instead of just the televised game or, you know, the last seconds of a game or whatever, what have you. And so just watching it, it's like, yo, we we know we joke about wings. Kevin once called them uh, vegan wings. Like the Wizards have uh, vegan wings, like cauliflower yeah. wings, right? Yeah. And it's like you, you look across the landscape of the NBA and it's like so many teams have great wings. Yes. Like and it's like great confident wings and we don't yeah. have it. And then yep. – um, you know, last couple of years, a big man, just the regular having the regular big man who can't exert his will from all three levels of the floor hasn't quite worked out. I mean, Giannis, Giannis is technically a big man, but, but you know, like it is what it is. He, he a unicorn, special type player, and we have a unicorn. It's like I don't think he can have that Giannis effect on the game just simply by watching, um, you know, Giannis destroy uh, – you know, players like Nikola Vucevic uh, in the previous series and then watching, remembering and recalling a game where Vucevic was like cooking KP. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was like you take a scale back, but then you don't have to do it. And then when you take a scale back, you get to reset your your expectations or you get to say like, yo, have I been like bitching nonstop about a team? Like and some people have been one guy told us he's been he's been complaining about the Wizards for 20 plus years. And it's like, yo, the Wizards aren't going to change. They're going to do what they do. And um, I feel like you only get those insights, like, uh, and to end this, like, last week we discussed, like, maybe the Wizards should just go all in and have fun. Like, making it a fun team. You know, bringing the fans back out, like, okay, we lose, but we lose. Not we lose. I, we win, but we're winning um, 155 to 150 or something like that. Like, I don't know. Like, throw out some suggestions, make it fun. And the only way I say that is because watching these true teams compete, we have no shot. Like, we have no shot. And I only got to that level by decompressing, um, not thinking about the Wizards just enjoying another team and then doing it vis-a-vis. -vis. Huh, how do we get to that level? So, anyway. Yeah.
end of my rant. Wow. <laughs> there's 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 a lot to unpack there. Um, you know, one one thing I, I would say is um w- one team that really stands out to me just watching the playoffs is the Grizzlies. Um, and I know a lot of people, yeah, they focus on John ja Morant and, and all that. The reason why they're good isn't really just John ja Morant. It's like they have done such a great job building their whole team, right? Mm-hmm. The up and down their roster, I mean, they got guys inside the lottery, outside the lottery. Like they just kept hitting on their picks. And then they got, you know, John ja Morant, who is a really a superstar at this point. And then I think Jaron Jackson Jr., he's on the cusp of getting to that point. He's not quite there yet. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, the drafting, man, it, it, it was so important. And I, I feel like they really kind of had a shift from the the Mike Conley, uh, Mark Gasol era where, you know, they were more the, the grindhouse style, physical defense style. Now they're more mm-hmm. up-tempo um, fast-paced, very offensive team. But between both errors, they seem to have a vision and a focus. And one thing that I, I constantly harp on with the Wizards, and, and, and kind of to your point, Ron, is it doesn't seem like there's, like, a cohesive plan. Like, where are we going with this? Like, wh- yeah. what are we actually trying to put together that's going to make sense. Like, and when I watch Golden State, I know what I'm watching. When I see, when I see the Miami Heat, I know what I'm watching, right? When I see Milwaukee, I know what I'm watching. But with the Wizards, I think that's part of the problem is what are they trying to build? And then once you identify that, what players fit what you're trying to build? That's where yeah. I think the issue is. Yeah, no, I just jump in there real quick, passing cap. Um, two things like Memphis able to do that. Like, let's be real. Like, people talk bad about the women in Memphis all the time. So it was easy for young, <laughs> young, you know, millionaires <laughs> with a lot of money to stay focused in Memphis, Tennessee. You know, like DC. You know, it's 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 different. It's different yes. up here. But also yeah. another thing is like, yeah, I'm with you. And just to defend the Wizards for a bit, um, the auto wall. Bill, like that that era, they were only missing the bench. Like it, it could have hit. Like we were so close. Like think about it. You thought it. I know I thought it. Yo, we have the best backcourt in the league. You thought it. some people. Thought I never it. thought like that. it was it, not once. Okay. I usually made fun of them for for saying it. So like again, like even if people didn't think like they were the best backcourt or they were building something, it's like you can't really say they they missed on pick one three and three like it just wasn't enough to to win a championship right because they missed on like pick 29 38 37 like it just ain't quite well, you could say out. they missed on like six to 21 oh oh i don't even bring up you know mr vesley like, i, don't I mean even that's the, that was the draft like, one of the drafts that really set them back yes it was yeah getting everyone did out of that draft when yeah. there were really good players available you know, Vesley will will Kwame Brown like we we have the we have notable FOs, y'all. But like then the thing is y'all y'all hurt more. Like Kwame Brown, I'm, I was born in '92, so like Kwame, it's like I don't I don't understand he's he's bad at basketball allegedly, right? Because you know them them 
them analysts, their stats, and he was right. He said, "Look at the analytics behind it." I Hold was. On. Let me let me just jump in real quick. So, a, a couple of thoughts on this. So, first, Kwame was not bad at basketball. That's number one. Nobody who makes it to the NBA can possibly be bad at basketball, right? You make it to the NBA, you're top one percent in the world uh, as a player, right? But so that's one. And number two, Kwame, his first year with um, Eddie Jordan was actually above average. So yeah. he, he wasn't like anything great, but he was he was making progress. What set him back is he hurt, broke his foot. Um, and when he broke his foot, you know, he, he got depressed because he didn't understand the team did a really crappy job of keeping him part of the group. The, the sort of the NBA way is that because everybody's so busy, you, you tend to leave behind guys who get injured. And um, that's what they did with him, forgetting the fact that he was, you know, a 20 year old kid. And, yeah. you know, they they didn't really take care of him emotionally. He got depressed. He gained some weight. And when he yeah. came back, he wasn't ready to play, you know, and then they got mad at him because he was out of shape and wasn't ready to play. It's like, well, you know, there are things you could have done. Yeah. But to, to, to Ron's point on, I, I think I know where Ron was going with that. He's, he's got disconnected from this. He'll come back, I guess, um, when he can, but um, at any rate where he was going with that, you know, it's like with while Beal Porter was a pretty good, I call them the medium three, but yeah. to altogether, they were good enough if they had had, you know, solid guys yes. behind them. And because yeah. they kept missing on things and, and spending first round picks to get, guys like Markeith Morris and, and Martin Gortat, who was pretty good. And because they did things like traded their cap space for Okafor and Ariza, um, they, they never really got a chance to put together a, a quality team around them because they, one, they drafted badly and then they kept missing in free agency. And, uh, you know, so anyway, I think Marcus, yeah. you had some thoughts on this too. Yeah, I, I, I do agree with that assessment. I think they definitely uh, could have, built a much better team. Um, the other path that I, I was thinking about too is, um, and, and, I, and I, this, is, this is where I struggle with that whole core. To me, I feel as though the biggest mistake they made actually was giving Otto Porter the max contract because that really locked them into that core without really the flexibility to do much with it. Um, I was advocating at the time for them to trade Otto Porter just because he was on a rookie deal. Um, and at that point, you know, his value was higher than, you know, what he was actually worth as far as, you know, salary cap wise. So mm -hmm. I think you would have got a good return because he was having a career year at that point. Mm -hmm. And I, I thought, you know, maybe they should have sold high. Um, because I didn't see Otto Porter as a star player. I, I mm -hmm. thought he was a really high end role player. And I feel like what, what Golden State does right now with using him um, is more appropriate role. Maybe he can be a spot starter, but I think he's ultimately a high end role player that could come mm -hmm. off the bench and, and, you know, he could shoot the ball really well on a good team. Um, but, but to Ron's point, you know, if you have a solid team across the board around him, that kind of covers up yeah. some of those uh, shortcomings that he may have in his game and with Bill and Wall. Then yeah. maybe you have the opportunity to to build a good team. Um, so it just didn't seem to, to do good at either path. So yeah, let me Hold let me jump in real quick with with on Otto because 
part of what happened with Otto was just incredible Wizards mismanagement. Because when when Otto, between that third and fourth year of his rookie deal, you know, he they talked extension, everybody, every rookie who gets to that point, they, they talk extension with the team and they did, and they could have signed him for less mm-hmm. than the maximum. I, I, I know this for hundred percent sure mm-hmm. that they could have signed him for less than the maximum. In fact, they probably could have signed him for less than the maximum, even that summer when he was going to be a restricted free agent, because um, you know, he, he wanted to get a deal done with the team and the team, but his, you know where he, where the team the team never made him an offer. Um, you know they asked for his proposal, you know from his agent, and his agency went in with a proposal, and the team said no, go get an offer. And so he went out, and they, because of where the league was, the things that were going on in the league, it was clear he was going to get a maximum offer, mm-hmm. right? Yes. That was a hundred percent clear. Yep. And the Wizards thought that they could maybe that they would be able to, I, I don't know what they thought exactly. I think they thought that they could bluff their way through in terms of that they could get him to sign for that, that he wouldn't get a maximum offer because teams would figure that he would just match. They would just match. They told everybody that he was, they would match. Ultimately he got three maximum offers. Sacramento made him uh, actually presented an offer sheet. Vlade Divac said they didn't, but he lied. They did um, give him an offer sheet when he went to visit. They had an offer sheet ready for him, uh, full max. Utah offered him. They never presented an offer sheet, but Utah was ready to pay uh, max salary to him. And ultimately, he signed the deal with Brooklyn, which was a maximum salary contract. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Wizards, you know, matched. And Ted Lee, you know, just made these passive aggressive, you know, little snide remarks about, well, Otto went out and got his offer. And you know, basically the Wizards backed themselves into paying the maximum for him and doing it in a way that pissed off the player, right? The players, like Otto, should have been thrilled to get an auto, a maximum contract. And instead, the Wizards handled it so badly, they, one, had to pay him, and two, pissed him off. You got, but you also got to look at the human nature, right? (sighs) So, so again, to the point of, like, these playoffs are made with a, like, decompress, like, not even like I don't I don't I won't even look at draft related stuff until uh when is it May 19th when they do the ping pongs mm-hmm. yeah it's like okay I have two more weeks before I'll I'll fire the brain up but if you think about it like right what's the difference between Mikhail Bridges and Otto Porter I'll tell you what it is it's chemistry like yeah. that we never had chemistry on these Wizards teams if we had Wall playing like and I don't want to put it on Wall like but if if we were elevating like uh bill like uh, bill be the go-to score instead of like our point guard wanting to do it all like the pass and stuff like that we could have we could have um we could have passed over the mishaps on the bench like that team and that's what i mean like they they weren't that far away like Otto Otto wanted to leave dc yeah. i don't know who, like you know what i mean because and i get it he's playing defense Kevin, well, you'll have to correct me. Was he a forty percent three point shooter at that point? Yeah, he, he was over forty percent like two yeah. two straight years. So, but he did so not want to. Like, he did not want to leave DC. He liked DC. Okay. Um, he okay. wanted to. He, at the point at which he actually was kind of ready to leave was when they screwed up the diagnosis on his um, calf at the end. Was that at the end of the twenty seventeen season, or mm-hmm. was that no? That was end of 2017-18, right? Where he he tore his ca- uh, calf muscle, strained calf. They said. And it turned out he had compartment syndrome, which they didn't diagnose until between game four and five of the first round series. Meanwhile, they, Scott Brooks was literally trashing him publicly for not playing well enough, not playing hard enough. And he's playing on compartment syndrome where he could have 
you know, if, if they hadn't, they, they, they sent him in for emergency surgery, you know, because compartment syndrome is something where when people get it, if they don't get it treated, they lose their foot. Right? Oh my goodness. So he was a little pissed at them for that, but. You, you could say that, but I'm just saying like that, that nucleus, that team was like, was growing and mm-hmm. you got to remember, then the rumbling started. Like it, it wasn't just Wartot and Bill who felt like, you know, everybody eats. It, like, think about it. Like, perhaps, like, you know, Otto, I just, like, again, just going back to, like, viewing these playoffs with no dog in a fight and not hurt from, like, us going out in five, like, last year. It's, like, just viewing it, I don't really see how, okay, yeah, no, that team, like, we, we were coming. Like, I was starting to believe, like, something's different. What, the, the his first go run at the playoffs, we beat the Bulls. Then I was like, yo, we're we're extending. We're we're gonna do something. And then um I felt like we we just didn't have the right coaches at the time where they could develop a system that elevated Bill. Like Gortat was 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 bitching. We we should have, but he set great screens. Like you need that, right? Like, but I don't know, like Gortat was bitching, but maybe and I hate to do it. If we had a different type point guard, like pass first, like that team would have been good. But then if you say that, you have to say, well, then. The draft is gone because Wall was a part of that. So that's that's where I where I ended at. Like you know, it's and just defending the Wizards, they tried and they came yeah. close. I'm not sure how much Wall ever actually got coached in Washington. You know, he got coached in the sense that they drew up plays and they designed plays, and then they did some things that that he could do. But you know, he, turnovers were a problem his entire career. Right, Scott, Scott tried. He just tried to find him. Scott his, tried. His, his shot selection never changed. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, yeah. Go ahead, Marcus, because you, you looked like you had a few things to say here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you about him not really being coached. I, I think that was definitely part of the problem. The other thing I wonder too is even just like look at his first year. Right, look, look who he had around him: Nick Young, Andre Blatch. JaVale McGee. I, I mean, he just started off Don't with just Jordan such Crawford, a poor the third round. part of the big three. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Jordan Crawford. I mean, it, it was like, you know, who who's going to take the shots? Like, who is going to be the leader while he, as a rookie, is, is going to try to find his way in the league? And I feel like that kind of set him up for a uh, disaster because, to be honest with you, you know, like you said, he needed the coaching. He needed really to slow roll his way into the league because if he is going to develop as this, you know, quote unquote, pass first point guard that we were expecting him to be, then, you know, there there has to be steps to that. Like there, ha- and, and, you know, we know that, you know, he had issues with a jump shot, which a lot of it, you know, you all just mentioned to me, his shooting could definitely have improved and it, it, it kind of improved over time but a lot of it was his shot selection and I think some of that was just like bad habits that he developed from when he got in the league and he felt like well I have to be the man because look who's around me look who I'm playing with and and I, and I think that it just compounded itself more and more and more because to be honest with you there's no reason why John Wall couldn't be a better player than he is like I, I I'm not gonna sit here and say that he is John Morant but I would say if you compare John Morant's situation right now and you put John Wall in that situation, would John Wall be the same player that he turned out to be with the Wizards? I, I, I don't think he would be. I, I think 
he would develop a lot different. And so I think that that speaks to the coaching that speaks to how the, the roster was built and his overall development. And without those two things, you know, you got a player that maybe could have had a higher ceiling, but couldn't quite get to this level that we were expecting just because of all those things. No, yeah, well said. And, and like, I, I'll have to run on this note, but I think like it all wraps back to where we began. Like you have that young player who can do it all, defend, plan, score, and the challenge for you will be how do you incorporate your teammates? Because no one wants to, you know, be iced out like, oh, one player, oh, he, t- he dribbles all the time. He controls, he dominates the ball. I only get shots when he decides it. Like, you're going to rebel against that guy because that guy, in a sense, now controls everything. And all the blame will be heaped on you. Like, you mess up, you miss the shot, you messed up his assist, even though you're in no rhythm. So remember, that, like, the consternation Wall would have when players miss, like, wide open shots or what have you and it's like Russ Westbrook does it to other other players John doesn't do that so he's a natural like playmaker but he wasn't always the best player on his team so he grew like Wall has always been there and so it comes back to your player your biggest challenge will be how do you elevate men how do you incorporate all men and put it differently how do you not be selfish but be selfish yeah because you have to like do something so yeah and so that's like too, and you started with like your take of watching the other teams that you see, um, you see like how, like the coaching, and you you see the players, how the drafting, like how Memphis, for example, got it correct. And it's like if people, if we somehow we we winded down this tunnel of flashbacks, like Kev gave us the inside scoop. Okay, so Vladi Divac be lying, and he got traded for the greatest player ever, Chris Bryant. That boy was meant to just be in the in the barrels. But it was like, yo, so like and Cal was talking about that. And it's like we we all went down this roundabout of like memory lane. Um, and it's it's just awesome that way. So going back down memory lane, it's like really scale back. John Wall being a ball hall caused a lot of the dysfunction that we're still we're still going through. And perhaps I'll leave you to the banter about it. Perhaps you can only rid that voodoo by bringing them back. Or perhaps like we just finally find time to admit it. Yeah, so my theory on on Wall and like the you know where where he, the things that he did the way this part of it was the team and the way the team awarded status to him before he even signed a contract. I mean, they drafted him, they flew him into D.C. You know, this kid from Raleigh, right? And they flew him into D.C. and literally rolled out the red carpet. They. They, you know, had a stretch limo. They drove them up to, you know, F Street. They literally had red carpet. They had a band. They talked about him, lit, said things like that he was the franchise savior. These are all things they talked about before he had, I mean, before he had even put on like a, well, I guess that probably at the draft he put on a wizard's hat. But he had, he had signed no contract. He had not practiced with the team. He hadn't really spent time with the, the team. They This was the welcome to D.C. And it's way over the top for a 19 year old kid. Yes. And, and then they, 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 once you start there, it's really tough to dial that back. Yeah. You know, do, do you think, 
when that happened, do you think some of that was because of the whole Gilbert Arenas Gungate situation? They were just trying so hard to try to erase the memories of Gilbert Arenas. So they just wanted to kind of annoy him to be this like franchise savior. And they, they went over top because they wanted fans to forget about all the stuff that went on with Gilbert. Well, A, yes, I do think that that was part of it for sure. Um, but I think another part of it was the, it goes along with what the, the the team does. They 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 make lots of they do marketing things, right? Mm -hmm. That they think are like going to be fun and clever. In part because I think they overrate their own players. Yes, and they, they do. They, and so not that that Wall would not be great someday, or that he couldn't be have been great because he certainly had the tools to be, you know, I think a, an all time great guard um, if things had gone just right, but. When, when you roll out the red carpet and you, you, you talk about him as a franchise saver, there's an expectation that he's going to be like really good as a rookie. And that's just not realistic for a 19 year old point guard who can't shoot. Right. And so it's, it's going to take time. And it took him some time to, to get to the level of being, you know, an all NBA guard. And he, he got there what one time. Yeah. Right. He yeah. could have gotten there more, I think. But I think that they would have needed to demand, they would have needed to treat him, handle, treat him differently, but to, to coach him, to teach him, to, you know, teach him how to play in the NBA and to um, help him develop, you know, leadership skills and to even, I mean, send him to leadership training classes and stuff, do that kind of yeah. stuff, invest in the guy, yeah. uh, because especially yeah, if you are going to anoint him as your, your franchise leader, well, equip him with the tools to be a franchise leader. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and we didn't do that, but we were close. So in the movie began, we got close. Like if wall, again, you can't just all heap it on wall. Cause it can be like the mental health of the others. Like some hate, like he may just be better. Cause he was better than everyone we had. Actually, I would have taken Otto over him though. Like I, I love Pete players who can score and defend the best player score mm -hmm. on and defend against the best players. Like those are the two way wings, six, three guard. Never really like Derrick Rose could have done it, like. But I'm biased, like I'm I'm a big Pooh fan, so maybe he could have done it. But I, I've yet to see like the six three guards. It's like there was totally I, it just felt to me like the the Wizards when even when they had like Wall and Porter um, as sort of their 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 medium three, right? Is that I felt I felt like even then they were leaving. There was low hanging fruit that they could have done. Like, yeah. how many times do you remember Otto? And, and wall being in like pick and roll together, um, right? They, they, what they did is they parked him in the corner, yeah. parked Otto in the corner, yep. and they would run pick and roll with Gortat, which I understand because Gortat's a great screener. They would run right. a screen roll with either Beal or uh, Wall as the ball handler. And then those guys would make plays. And if, if they couldn't get their own shot, they would throw the ball to the corner or they would throw the ball to Markeith Morris who would be lurking someplace in the, in the mid range. <laughs> And he'd throw up something, yeah, right. Or they'd give it to Gortat and he'd lay it in, right? <laughs> that was pretty much the offense. And it's yes. like, it just felt like there were there were opportunities to to put Porter, who was a good ball handler, a good shooter, into the action in places where they could have taken advantage of that shot making. But you know that that wasn't what they did. Yeah, I mean, you see you see that even now with the the current team, um, like. 
I know fans kind of talk about Denny Avia, you know, like last year he was kind of parked in the corner a lot and, you know, oh man, he's, he could be a point guard. I don't think he could be a point guard, but a lot of fans kind of clamor for that. But I do think that his role could be a lot more than just like a three and D guy. And this franchise seems to struggle with finding the appropriate role for players to maximize their talent. Like I, I, I can't think of, too many times we've had players on this team where, you know, it's like, wow, they really maximize that guy. Like, I, I can't think of too many examples of that. Yeah, I'm trying to, as soon as you said that, I started thinking back, like, going through my head and, like, nobody's really jumping out. I mean, in recent times, like, Gafford maybe is the only guy yeah. that I could think of who you'd think, you'd say, yeah, they've maxed out, except, you know, they don't play him that much. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, and then you get these like false positives too, like uh, Troy Brown, for example. You go back mm -hmm. a few years, he was not good as a rookie. And then in his second season, he was actually pretty good. You know, he was, he was about league average. He was solid, you know, and then he came back in his third year and he, he sucked. He, he, yes. You know, in NBA terms, yeah. going back to what I said, but right. he, he right. was not good. And then, you know, he, he hasn't really recovered. No, and he, I mean, he really has struggled with his role. I mean, he's another one of those guys as a victim of, you know, being on his team, maybe not having an appropriate role. When he got drafted, to me, just looking at his skill set, I thought, this guy sounds like a point guard. Like, I don't, he's not a good shooter. He's not super athletic. You know, it, it just screams like a, you know, big point guard. That, that, that's what I thought was a more appropriate role but it, you know he just kind of struggled with that he struggled with being that wing player you know it, it just never really was a a good yeah. fit for him but yeah. he he has talent but he just never put it together yeah yeah so it's it, it's an interesting thing i'm gonna i'm gonna think about that a little bit about you know wh like which of the players have they maximized and then yeah. I, there's somebody i want to get on a, a somebody and this will this will be a project for the summer is to bring on somebody who knows uh, player development. Mm -hmm. And because I have some questions that I want to ask, uh, specifically things like, um, wh where do the responsibilities lie for player development? Like, you know, for example, like with Denny Avdia, he needs to improve what? His left hand, his yes. ball handling, especially left hand, yep. he needs to improve his shooting, right? Yep. Those are the, like, to yep. be, he needs to foul less. Right. So fouling less is something that comes should be able to come with experience and coaching. Yeah. Right. So there's a player development role there for the for the team. Right. Um, things like he's got some decision making issues that I think could be fixed with just experience. Right. And, and coaching. And I think that that's the kind of thing where, you know, as he keeps playing, he'll probably his decision making will probably improve because I think he's got a pretty good you know, he, I think he's a pretty smart guy. The, now the shooting, right? What's the coaching role there? Like, do you need like a, a team to quote unquote develop his shooting? Or is this something that he can literally just go into the gym and put up a thousand shots, a thousand makes a day, which would be crazy. You know, that's a, that would be, that would be pretty crazy. You know, you get a guy like JJ Reddick talking about his, um, his workouts and, you know, we're talking 30 minutes to an hour on his shooting right so and yeah. he's an all-time great shooter so yeah you know maybe even what i'm saying is a little excessive but my point is that i feel like you could go on youtube and find really good shooting uh, videos and then go yeah. into the gym 
with a rebounder and you can get shots up and come back and be a much better shooter without, you know, some expert sitting around holding your hand. Right. right. So I want to ask a coach like in the NBA, what, uh, what, 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 who, who, how does these, these responsibilities break down? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good question. Yeah. Very good question. Hi, this is Kevin, and I wanted to share with you briefly about a product I've recently been introduced to called Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is a supplement. It's a powder form, and you basically add a scoop to a cup of water in the morning, and when you do, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens to help you start your day right. The ingredients support gut health, support your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, aging, all of those things. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, you can do all of it with Athletic Greens. It contains less than one gram of sugar per serving, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything, and it still tastes good. It supports better sleep quality and recovery supports mental clarity and alertness i can use some of that right now it'll also it's not expensive it costs you less than three dollars a day and i know that a lot of folks are spending more than that on coffee or energy drinks and this will be better for you than that um, athletic greens in addition to when you make a purchase for every purchase i thought it greens donates to organizations to help get nutritious food to kids in need. It includes the No Kid, Re no Kid Hungry, which is, operates here in the United States. In 2020, uh, Athletic Greens donated more than 1.2 million meals to kids in 2020. So right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million pills supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens/emerging. That's athleticgreens/emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. So now you and I, we, 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 get, we, well, we didn't get into it. We just, uh, we had a very respectful Twitter exchange and I thought, yes. you know, it's worth having, uh, you know, come on and talk about it. So I, I was doing some talking a little bit about Nicole Jokic, mm. who um, played very well. And um, you had some thoughts about um, his style. Um, yes. So just go ahead and you, why don't you go ahead and like articulate what you, you, you were thinking and um, then I'll. Um, respond. <laughs> yeah. So, so the one thing I say about Jokic is, um, I, I, I overall I love his game. I, I think he's a really, really good player. The thing that I question is if he MVP worthy, uh, and the reason why I state that is offensively he do everything. I mean, he's so good at you know he can be like a point center. You know, he can shoot really well, great post player. Um, you know, he, he just does it all on offense. It's the defense that gives me a pause. And I've wondered to myself, 
since, especially since he got the MVP, does it make sense for a guy to win MVP that is that deficient in a certain area of a game, right? Um, you know, certainly there, there are going to be flaws with players. I mean, I, I've even wondered that about Giannis, you know, when, when Giannis was winning MVPs, because obviously at that time, a, a big question was his, his jump shooting. Um, but with Jokic, it, it, my, my biggest concern is his defense. And what really stood out to me was last year when he was in the playoffs uh, and they were going against the Phoenix Suns, which I thought was like the worst possible matchup for the Denver Nuggets. And the main reason why is, you know, and, and we end up hiring the coach that, that kind of put together the defensive scheme is when teams are running pick and roll, they like to do the drop, drop coverage. Well, Jokic, they don't want him to come up and defend on a perimeter. And so, of course, when you have players like Chris Paul and Devin Booker, who are like monsters in, in the mid-range shooting, it's, it's terrible because what they're doing is they're trying to see, okay, how far is his drop going to be on this drop coverage if he drops back too far eat up the space and then take a shot you know a few feet in front of him mm -hmm. where he can't come up and contest yeah. or if he comes up drive right past him go in for a layup and what was happening is they were literally they were taking turns mm -hmm. chris paul Devin booker both mm -hmm. going down court doing the same thing over and over again and and I was just sitting there looking at this like, wow, like this is bad because this is the MVP of the league and he's he's being picked apart. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, you know, makes me question if the MVP award is strictly offensive, you know, <laughs> give him the MVP because he, he, he's a guy. Um, for me, when I think about MVP, like Embiid is a little bit closer to what I would think is an MVP, not necessarily because I think MVP um, is like a better offense player or anything like that. I, I think Jokic is clearly the, the better offense player, but it's what MB does mm -hmm. on defense, I think distinguishes um, him from, from Jokic. And I, and I think that that's where the issue comes in. Like, how can you win a championship and really maximize the value of a player like Jokic when teams are going to continue to do that? Yeah, so I agree in part and disagree in part. Okay. Um, so like this year, at least in the various impact metrics, there was the difference between Embiid and Jokic was almost indistinguishable defensively, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, Denver was a lot better defensively when, well, they, they were significantly better defensively when Jokic was on the floor and it was about the same amount as, as, Philly was with Embiid, so it was it was kind of interesting, um, and where the difference between the two come in is like I I agree with you that um, on offense Jokic is the is the better weapon um, yeah. between the two because he he, yeah. he he can do more things for yes. you than than Embiid can. He also I mean he'll he'll turn it over, you know uh, Jokic will and Embiid does too. That's one of Embiid's problems is uh, is high turnovers. But Jokic will also get you, you know, eight to 10 assists per 100 possessions and, and Embiid's about half that. So, um, and that's not to say that Embiid's a bad passer. He's a pretty solid passer for a big man. But mm -hmm. Jokic is a pretty solid passer for anyone, for 
you know, any basketball yes. player ever, right? He is yes. a phenomenal passer. And yes. it's, as an aside, it was pretty amusing to watch like Drew Hanlon try to like attack his passing. And it's like, come on, you know? <laughs> Just, yeah, he's a little biased. <laughs> if you're going to make an argument for Embiid being the MVP, I think it's what the one that you made, which is, look, Jokic is, is, has some issues defensively, even with what the impact numbers said this year. And Embiid is, you know, an all, all defense, potentially uh, defensive player of the year right. type level defender. And Jokic is, uh, even this season with the impact metrics, you know, the, the, P, the defense part of PPA um, definitely had a, an advantage for Embiid in that area. And usually the, the on-off numbers like move in the direction of PPA over time. So, um, so, okay, so that's number one. And I agree with you because Golden State did the same thing. And, and in fact, Golden State had a similar sort of game plan for attacking Jokic, except they they took it like the next step. So Phoenix like kept running quick screen roll to get the those mid-range jumpers. Golden State just set the set the pick, you know, 42 feet from the basket. And then so if he dropped, then you had Steph and Clay Thompson pulling up for and Jordan Poole pulling up for threes, right? Instead of or having just a runway to, to drive yeah. to the rim. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that it is. But the, the one thing about it is that the, the overall, you know, ecosystem for the player is also part of what plays into it. You know, with Denver, for example, they don't have any defender who's the level of like Matisse Thibel, right? right. right. And who is an elite wing defender, right? You can, right. you can play switch, you can play him one through three for sure yeah. and against most fours as well like i mean if you put thibault for example on davis bertans or any of the wizards fours that that guy's not going to score right 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 so there's nobody like that for in fact you know denver really doesn't even have guards right now that can that are can contain the ball that can yeah. um, fight through screens you know or and then you also wonder um, some stuff about the coaching and the reaction to the coaching and the kind of adjustments. You know, Malone's a good coach, but if Golden State is setting the screen 40 feet from the basket, right, even though you're playing Steph Curry, why not just go under, right? Yeah. <laughs> you send your guy yeah. under in, or because that way what you're conceding is a 39-foot three-point shot right? instead of a 25-foot three-point yep. shot. Right. So, and there is a difference in that. And yeah, sure. Steph can still probably shoot 35% from on 39 foot threes, but you know, at least you're giving yourself a little bit uh, of, of a shot there. So I, that's, that's the thing. It's just, you know, where I came down with it, where I think about it is that it just, when, when I hear people, when I hear the, like, you can't win the playoffs with this, you know, type of player, it makes me think of like, like Phoenix, right? But going yeah. back to the D'Antoni Suns, where it's like, oh, you can't win like this. Yeah. And then it's, and then, you know, it's like, well, they lost, right? And so that proves it. And then you get like, you know, two years later, San Antonio wins a title running the exact same stuff that uh, yeah. D'Antoni was running with Phoenix. And it's just like, you've got better personnel and you got a little luckier. And so you do it. It's like, you can't win with, uh, you know, playing this sort of heliocentric, um, you know, hardened ball, right? Where, it's like you take turns, you just keep running screen, pick roll, screen and rolls to get, you know, making them switch until you get the matchup you went and then you cook. And it's like, you know, they took Golden State. It, it, they had to go 0 for 27 
from three point range to lose yeah. to Golden State, right? And yeah. and then you look at what like teams are doing now, and there are teams that are doing basically the same thing, and they are winning titles, right? And so that's all you know. I was really thinking is one. I thought there were some strategic things that Denver could have done a little differently. Yeah. And and two, I kind of thought. Um, I don't know. I think Jokic is such a freak that, mm-hmm. you know, offensively that I, I'm just not sure whether you can win. Maybe you could be entirely right that he's just too slow defensively to, to, to make the, you know, to, to win a title or to, to win, to, to make a deep run in the playoffs. I think win a title is not really a fair thing. And, and I don't think that's what, even what you were saying. So. Yeah. You know, the, I, when I was thinking about our conversation, the the one thing that I thought about that kind of is like a, I don't want to say an example, but kind of a guideline of maybe where you can go. Uh, I was thinking about Dirk Nowitzki uh, mm-hmm. early on in his career. He wasn't known as a good defender. Mm-hmm. Um, when they got to the point where, you know, they were, they won the title, there was a couple of things that happened. He became a much better defender. Um, he, he found a way to still be effective on that end, but they also put good players around him that kind of cover up some of his flaws on defense as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do agree with you. I think if they had some better wing defenders uh, around him, maybe, um, you know, I, I mentioned Jeremy Grant. I thought, you know, if they had Jeremy Grant, and I, I thought that was a huge mistake by letting him go. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause I thought he was a good compliment for what they had on their roster. Yeah. Um, it, it maybe you could get away with having, you know, uh, Jokic out there. Um, and you, you, like you said, better somatic, um, strategy could have maybe hit him a little bit more on defense and, and put your team in a better position to, to win. Um, there are different ways, you know, w- the one thing that I, I get concerned about with just the strategy of building around him, um, you know, you pay Jamal Murray as well. You pay Michael Porter Jr. I don't think either one of those guys fixes the defensive issue. And so do you give yourself much room to fix this issue? Now, the drafting, you know, certainly they can draft a player that they can put around them. But so far, they haven't really drafted a mm-hmm. player yet. So. Yeah. You know, just something to think about for them. Yeah, yeah. It's it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see what happens when you know Murray and Porter come back for them, and see if that's um, something that 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 they can, you know, that what how much difference that makes. Because as you pointed out, that really doesn't solve any defensive issues for them. Right. Um, it does give them more offensive firepower, so that they can at least keep pace. Um, you know, in terms of scoring, perhaps. Yeah. Thank you.